0: And at the end of the day, I learned a lot, and there was never a point when I went overseas that I felt like I was unprepared from you know, knowing what, how the military fights. Mm-hmm. Like I felt completely comfortable in knowing you know, how to lead.
1: Gentlemen, welcome to a special Friday edition of the Glock and Doc Podcast. We have some very special actually we have a special location. We have special friends. We're being recorded, filming actually, why this is going down. We have the Hawaiian heartthrob. <laughs> <laughs> David David Garkey Island fresh, right. off, fresh off the island. Aloha. Accompanied as usual by Joseph Glockner, and we have Mama Kim in the background. We're we're recording here today, special recording, we're going recording from Doc Spartan headquarters. We've got the long tables, Mama's got a hot pot of the combat ready ointment going. My boy Derek Mosley's behind the camera getting it going, and we are here, the reason... We have such a special Friday edition. Is my good friend Chase Millsap, also known as the husband of Miley Gherkin. It's my number one claim. I, I believe. <laughs> yeah. So we've, uh, Chase came in, took a, took a red eye. And I said, Hey, bro, uh, you want to work out? <laughs> you
0: want to work out? There's nothing like getting off a plane and coming in to. PKSC and seeing 150 wall balls on the whiteboard, i mean like, "Well, this is going to be a good day. This is going to be
1: this is going to be fun." So I'm like, "Yeah, man, so it's, it's going to be a easy workout, and uh, we'll drink some beers afterwards, and we'll, we will." Uh, that's what really sold me. <laughs> Typically, that's how all deals <laughs> yeah, that's go down. how you get everybody in uh, here. Just come on out, we'll drink some beers afterwards. <laughs> yeah. It's Friday. Yeah, it's no big deal. It's podcast. It's all good. So I have Chase and I have a budding. Budding bromance that's, that's gone back. I felt like
0: we've gone a lot farther oh. than a budding bromance. Bro <laughs> I mean, it's been years and I've just been waiting.
1: Finally, I have you in my lair all to <laughs> myself. Um, Chase, Chase. If no
0: one's here from me in like 24 hours, <laughs> please, please come find me.
1: <laughs> somebody, somebody reach out. Um, Chase, uh, I guess the number one thing you can say about Chase is uh, he's a good dude. He's a good dude, and we're going to spend the next however long it takes going into uh, to why he's such a good dude. But um, he's a veteran. He's a former Marine who actually got smart and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and went to the Army side of the house. Doesn't uh, happen often. <laughs> that is true.
0: But it did happen.
1: He's a former Marine infantry officer uh, who later became a Green Beret, um, a team leader in 18 Alpha. Um spent some time, spent some time with the Army Special Forces, got out and um, I'm gonna use this term. This is what you're gonna be known as from now on. Oh, please. Let's Hollywood Insider.
0: Holly Wow. <laughs> Behind the line. Lone and unafraid in Los Angeles. He did a lot of tours overseas, but no one ever thought he'd come back from the West Coast.
1: Hollywood Insider.
0: <laughs> All right. Chase I'll M- roll with it. Chase Millsap. Can I get a letter jacket with that on there,
1: please? <laughs> Four-year letterman, Hollywood Insider. So, my good friend, I've been the only, the first and only time I came to Hollywood was to uh, to film Shark Tank and Chase, you know, it's one of those things like this speaks to the, to the veteran community, um, you know, it speaks to your wife, my wife, Sarah, it's like you guys need to hook up. I think you guys would, uh, you know, you guys would be hit it off, be great friends. So fly out to California. Chase put us up. He had us over to the house. Took us to dinner. Um, he actually helped us prepare and do some rehearsals prior rehearsals to rehearsals. Make you money. Yeah,
0: we all know that.
1: And uh, and and the biggest biggest thing. You didn't, you
0: didn't were, listen to me on the Silkies, though, <laughs> on the American Body <laughs> song. I was a little hesitant, but it worked out. Right. You were right. Bro, right. uh, I
1: don't think you... Uh,
0: I don't know if that's a bold move. Uh, I mean, it's it's bold. I don't know if I would go down that route, but you did it? Okay, we're doing this. <laughs> doing
1: So the the biggest, biggest thing Chase instilled in us was belief um, going in there. So, brother, I appreciate you for that. Thanks for having me on and for the beers. Bro, it helps. We're just getting rolling.
0: Oh, wonderful. Yeah.
1: So we're going to get into a whole mess uh, of everything, but... If you can, take your time, drink some beer, and uh, tell the audience a little bit about who you are.
0: Wow. I mean, between the military side and the Hollywood insider, uh, (laughs) I mean, how do I live down that? Uh, I am a small-town guy. I grew up in a town that had literally one stoplight, and it's called Granbury, Texas, outside of Fort Worth. There's one highway in, one highway out, and it was one of those towns where I loved it as a kid. Went fishing all the time. It was out, you know, playing baseball and playing sports. Uh, but as I got into high school, I was like, "It is time for me to leave." You know, it's just small town stuff, yeah. and it was like I need to go out into the world and do an adventure. And that's why I joined the military.
1: When, when did uh, when did you graduate? Two
0: thousand one, May of one Yeah. And then, so how
1: it. many people were in your graduating class?
0: Ooh, maybe, maybe two fifty. Okay. Yeah but it was, it was a lot of, it was one of those schools it was like varsity blues out there right. you know where you've kind of got multiple different towns that come to one school um big 4A football um you know and and for me it was having I love Texas I'd always you know really enjoy being there but I I hadn't seen the ocean I had never been out like away from that part of the world and it was just time to go see something else and go see the world so oh 01 mhm
1: so you went to college right afterwards. I did. Yeah. Now did you do did you do ROTC or what, how how did we get how do we go from um, college drunkard to <laughs> so to, I'll I'll to give you the officer.
0: the down and dirty story. There was no plan from my part about entering the military. A lot of people go in and they're like, I'm going to do this and this and this. For me, it was like, uh, I'm going to take whatever opportunities in front of me. Yeah. And that's the way I sort of, I focused on my, my military career, which is why I was actually in three services. So I went to the Naval Academy in June of 01.
1: Oh, and, no shit. Yeah.
0: And so I was there, and that summer was at the Naval Academy on September 11th. I thought I wanted to be a pilot. I mean, I'd seen Independence Day, you know, and I was like, oh, fly airplanes, fight aliens. Yeah, that have seems... have the
1: whole... Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I mean, than... I
0: thought that was, you know, the route that I wanted to go. And then, you know, obviously that changed, but... I had a chance to meet some Marines, and I knew that I wanted to go overseas. And, um, you didn't had,
1: want to be a naval aviator? I did not
0: want to be a naval aviator. Uh, I wanted to be a Marine infantry officer, so I spent the next four years. That camera is just...
1: In case you're <laughs> wondering, on Facebook Live, I'm a moron. There we go. Thanks, why, Joe. This is why Joe's here. That's, the that's like Yeti. Yeti. Joe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the
0: microphone, though.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: I think the only, only person who's going
1: to tune in is going to be... Uh,
0: it's gonna be Jim, anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> Should we tell Myla? Myla and Sarah? Like, hey, um, yeah. But I, I knew I wanted to go overseas. Knew I wanted to be, you know, f- real. Very simply, if we we're at war, I wanted to be involved in it in any way that I could. I knew the Marines were gonna be at the front lines. I knew I wanted to be in the infantry, and I worked very, very hard to get to that point and um, graduated. I think a
1: lot of people. The misconception is. Um, you know, especially on the academy, R T C C out of the house, like, infantry slots are hard to come by. It's they're incredibly they're, difficult. I mean, they're the number one most coveted spot um, because the best and the brightest, want to. they want to go lead frontline yeah. troops.
0: Yeah, I mean, and we, you know, especially on the officer side, too. I mean, I right. really took it to heart that you're going to be in charge of people, in charge of people's lives. And mm-hmm. and I wanted to be the right person to do that and took, it, you know, a lot of responsibility on my shoulders. And I can remember... As I was going through the training, I mean, literally praying at night thinking, you know, please make me good enough to get through the next day, right? Because it was one of those things that I was constantly wondering if I could do it. But at the same time, you know, the, to the confidence, I learned that my greatest asset was be, having that confidence and then really knowing, you know, how, to, how the platoon works and knowing mm-hmm. the jobs and, and, and focusing on being the leader. Right. And, you know, I got to my first platoon. I was a combat replacement, which hasn't happened, I don't think, a lot since Vietnam. And so I got Oh shit a, Yeah we Re- deployed our like My unit was already in Iraq And so I got a phone call Right after I got done With the so training So you, did you graduate From the Naval Academy I graduated from the Naval Academy Went
1: That's how you're so fucking smart <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Because here's the deal Like
1: No I, I mean that in the best I mean I've been, that I've, I've that, been I mean hiding that, it for years just, In our man's, no, no, no. And it just came out No because you're not a, You're not a ring knocker and I mean that in the best. I don't even know where my ring is. So, like, typically, a lot of guys. And, and listen, if you, um, I have the, I hold the academy guys in the highest regard, and the reason is because I was too stupid to go <laughs> to the academy. Um, I, tr- you know, I tried to get, I tried to go that route, and uh, ACT score said
0: otherwise. Yeah.
1: Like, maybe you should go drinking. I got on the naval quota from Small Town,
0: Texas. Right. I remember my congressman calling me and being like, "Well, you got it." I was like, well how many other people applied for it? He's like, just you. I'm like, whatever, man. I'm in. <laughs> like, so it I'll take like it was always like
1: like listen, as long as you score in the with all your extracurricular activities mm-hmm. and sports, as long as you score in the twenties, like I think you'll have a good shot at making it to the academy. So I'm like, all right, good. And they're like, Well so I took the test and they're like no, 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 no! Like we we meant high twenties. <laughs> we didn't mean like you twenty point five. <laughs> <laughs> Just barely Just made like, it in there. I'm in, bro.
0: Let's do it. I'm ready. A West Point. Here Bags I am. are packed. Let's 20 do twenty
1: ACT. Let's do this. No, <laughs> didn't happen. Uh, no, I didn't, no, This is no. I didn't know you were a uh, academy guy, man. It. But it makes you're gonna learn it all makes, kinds of new stuff about me. It today. makes uh, makes total sense.
0: So I was an academy guy, and then you know. Not that many people go in the Marine Corps from the academy. It's it's like under 20% or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, a lot of, you know, when you go into the Marines, a lot of people will fly. You can still be a pilot there. A lot of people will go in the support, logistics, all of that. To get an infantry slot is is pretty tough. Right. Um, and so I think of my class, there might have been 25 of us, maybe 30. Um, what was your year group? 05. 05. Yeah, so we got out um, and then in May of '06, So I'd gone through my entire training down in Quantico, Virginia. I'd mm-hmm. done all the stuff, you know, how to be an infantry officer, um, which was incredibly, I mean, it was an eye-opening experience for me because it's like, it's a college of war. That's, I mean, every right, single right, day, right, right, you're just training for that. Yeah. Uh, and I was the first one to get the call, and I was actually in Key West, partying with a couple of buddies when I got the phone call. It was like, you're getting on a plane next week. You need to go to your base. And... I was a little disheartening, but at the same point, I was you know young. So enough. this was
1: after OBC.
0: Ob. So it was we have the basic are, school. Okay. This is your first six months of just like
1: OBC stands for Officer Basic Course. Depending on what branch you get in a branch, not branch overall it's within whether Marines, Air Force, Army, you have sub branches yep. basically. Basically the the. Job type that you're going to perform. Yeah. So it's like the
0: graduate school for yeah. that you know, part of it. So I went to the basic school and learned how to like, wear the uniform properly and do all those things. Yeah. Um, and then you go to the infantry officer course, where I, I literally remember, um, you know, my instructors had all done the invasion of Iraq, Afghanistan, fought in Fallujah. I mean, these guys were no right. joke. But I just kind of remember, you know, one hanging out with this this group of you know, thirty or forty guys and. Having way too much ammo than anybody should ever have, and I can remember coming into a tent and being like, "Whose grenade is this? Like, why is there a box of grenades right where my my sleeping bag is supposed to be?" And they're like, "Oh, sorry, man, that that was mine." I'm like, "This is not good. Nobody should have ever had this many grenades." But yeah. I mean, it was it was good training, and at the end of the day, I learned a lot. And there was never a point when I went overseas that I felt like I was unprepared from you know knowing what how the military fights. Mm-hmm. Like, I felt completely comfortable in knowing you know how to lead. Uh, now this and, and
1: how old are you now?
0: I am thirty four now.
1: And that was twenty three then? Yeah.
0: Twenty
1: two? Twenty three. So it's it's funny to look back like yeah. we're old crusties. We are. We're old crusties Things compared old, to that. that those junior officers coming mm-hmm. in. And, you know, we'd be I guess around majors right now. Yeah. Um but you're twenty two, 22, 23, fresh, fresh out of the Academy, fresh whatever route you took go through IOBC. You get your platoon. Platoon is, is roughly 30 some guys and you're going to fucking war.
0: Yeah. And that was, that was the eye opener for me. So I, because I was a combat replacement, I got that phone call, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, get off the beach. Like you're going. So you know, I said goodbye to my family and I got on a plane by myself. And so, you know, I can remember having my gun and my equipment and all of those things and and being like, wow, I'm I'm really doing this, and then got to Kuwait, which I mean, you've seen that. It looks like there's just nothing out there's yeah. Mars, and I had no idea how I was supposed to get to Iraq and or get to my unit. So it's like this scavenger hunt for me to try to find to my guys. To find the
1: group of thirty men oh, yeah. going to lead into oh, combat. Yeah. All I
0: knew is I knew where they were. I didn't even know where that was on a map. And, the, and, the ter- and you're a lieutenant. I'm a, I'm a second lieutenant. Oh. So I have <laughs> literally no pull on anything. I have no, like, and, I am just wandering around. And so the,
1: the term LT oh, yeah. is, is, is pretty much calling some, I mean, yeah. depending on how the, ter- how you, the usage of LT. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's LT trying to find his men. <laughs> <It's> Walking around <laughs>
0: with his gun in his bags. Trying, trying to find to, the men he's where, going to lead. Where are my men? Where am I? And thankfully I had a gunnery sergeant who immediately knew I was lost and pulled me aside and said, sir, where are you, where are you trying to go? And I told him and he was like, let me hook you up. And so I got on, you know, he sort of walked me through it and I got on the plane and, you know, was there. It got into, into Iraq. Um, I mean, this all happened within 48 hours. So I was in California one day, you know, and 48 hours later, I'm in the middle of Iraq, uh, was on a helicopter and then out to the, to the outpost. And I remember I met the platoon at night in the middle. Of, I, I couldn't even see their faces. And everybody, could, you could hear the, the rumors going around, like the whispers, like the LTs here. Right, right, right. I had no idea. And I had a platoon sergeant that looked like Sergeant Barnes from Platoon.
1: <laughs> like <laughs> right.
0: This guy, I mean, he looked like he was ready to kill me. And right. I'm like, wow, this is going to be a very, very interesting experience. And,
1: so typically what happens is, you know, as a platoon leader... You have, you know, best case scenario, you have a six-month train-up
0: with your men. Yeah, you get to know them first before you go out.
1: So you'll do exercises, you do FTXs, you'll do, you know, JRTC rotation. So you're you're like, you have plenty of time to rehearse, prepare, train with your men to go to war. They know you, they respect you, they trust you, hopefully. Yeah. Um, You get to know, you know, your platoon sergeants, your squad leaders,
0: the whole deal but for you <laughs> welcome and and you know and I took it I was incredibly nervous and scared and but at the same time I, I felt really I, I can remember writing this down in a, in a letter I'd sent at that point it was like you know I don't even know these guys names but they're my family already right and then you know I want to get there because I want to help them and, and I really took that to heart as like you know these guys may not want a lieutenant but I'm gonna come and try to be the best uh-huh. one that 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 they need yeah. Um, and I remember you know, looking at the faces at night and a couple of these guys are still my friends or Facebook friends with me now uh, and I remember meeting them and I was like okay we're in it now and you know and, and I'm kind of making that silent promise to myself is like I'm going to commit as much as you guys are committing right now uh, and it started from there and we did uh, five so months together so where were you what part so I was in western Iraq in Al-Ambar province okay. and so it was a mechanized and this is 05 so it was 06 so oh, right. that was a good time yeah, <laughs> that, was yeah. Solid, that was a solid time to be. Yeah,
1: to be out west in uh, Alambar Province. Yeah,
0: I mean it was the pre-surge. Pretty so, I mean, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Um, you know, and that was a it was a heavy learning curve for me. But thankfully, I had you know, people on the team, especially the sergeants that had gone and gone, you know, a deployments before. They knew what they were doing. They knew how dangerous it was, and they were pretty candid with me, like, hey, you know, this is where we want to. This is what we should be doing this is what we shouldn't be doing and I asked the questions like what do I need to know you know now that we're out here you guys have been here before uh, and because of that it took us I mean it took us a couple of months before we were able to sort of get our groove together internally you know, and figure it out but after that we started finding IDs and started you know we started being really effective uh, but that whole experience you know of coming in and being sort of dropped behind the lines and in this platoon and not knowing anybody I walked away from that knowing that you know being able to go with the flow and being able to just react and not, and having the confidence was really what gave, added the value there. And I took that with me for the rest of my career. In
1: oh. So, five months, we redeploy.
0: How many total deployments did you do? I did three tours to Iraq. In how I many just years? Just kept going back, um, 06, 09. So, three tours, three years. So, how long, how long were you home stateside in those three years?
1: I guess in between deployments.
0: In between deployments, we would do eight month deployments, except for that first one, which was a little shorter. So, I I was a history major, so don't quote me on my math here. A little bit less than a year, probably. Now, Uh, were you? How did the did you change units? Did you? I did. So, I went after I got back from the first deployment. uh, I got assigned to what was called a mid team. So, it was a military transition team, and and the idea then was that we needed to get the Iraqi army trained up, and so they picked. Um, small teams that were sort of like special forces teams. I was gonna say,
1: like a MIT team ended
0: up being an SF mission. It's exactly the same thing. So we'll,
1: we'll get into that later yeah. on. Um, so you
0: go out and train these guys and build relationships with them and learn to speak the language and all of those things, and and you know you get to be the teacher in this third world country. And so I was I was teaching them how to fight and in mind a war, you, In a war, and mind you, I had been there for five months before, so I'm like I know a little bit, but not enough. Um you know and and some of these guys, I mean people think the Iraqi army is you know not that great, but i mean i fought I fought with guys that had been that fought the Iranians, I fought with guys that had been in the military for twenty years I mean these were some tough tough right. guys battle hard guys battle hard guys, and so they also looked at me like who's this kid coming in here so i had to I had to go you know prove to them that i could add value and that I could help and that I was my intentions were so how, how many
1: how many total guys were on the mid team
0: we had 11 on ours and you would you be training a battalion we or had 800 iraqis and 11 of us in the middle of the desert that's force multiplier yeah yeah, yeah. A lot of dogs so too.
1: 11 11 guys it's yeah. like the fucking harlem globetrotters
0: yeah <laughs> let's send these guys I was right on the syrian border too like you could not have pushed us any farther out there um, and we had a great team. I mean, we had, a, we had a team leader that- This was a joint, like this wasn't just Marines, right? This was our- This was Marines, but, but what, this is where, you know, when I had going with that flow idea, this is where I got to work with the Army Special Forces. So there was a Special Forces team out there. An ODA. An ODA, and they had a different mission. So their mission at that point was to go um, after a lot of the key leaders that were out there. Thank you, bro. Uh, so they, they were really going after the enemy in a way that the Marines, we were more training. Um, but they, they knew that we were getting our unit to a point where they were ready. They were ready to go into the fight, and so they asked me um, to come out and help them. And so I got to plan, as a young Marine First Lieutenant, I got to plan two or three missions with a special forces team against some really high targets, and I got to you know include Iraqis in there. And at this point, I'd spent enough time in Iraq, I spoke the language, so I was able to, to kind of go back and forth between these guys. Right. And so. You know, at the end of the day, my whole job was to make sure that we could build a team that could go after, you know, and complete the mission. That was mm-hmm. every time. It was building new teams all the time. So, fast forward
1: now. We're really fast forward. Can, yeah, we should
0: fast forward. Like, get in the good <laughs> stuff. <laughs> no, no, no. So, we'll three, up.
1: three deployments later, you finally decide I want to be a barrel-chested, freedom-fighting, snake-eating green beret. Yeah, yeah.
0: And uh, there was there was one moment you, for me that really defined why I wanted to be a Green Beret. And, and there's some there's some amazing units out there. Marines have great units, you know, the Navy, you know, even the Air Force has got some stuff, but the Green Berets are a little bit different. And there's if you look on, you go on their website and you look it up, and number one rule, number one rule on top of that list is that humans are more important than hardware. And I read that, and that, like, struck a chord with me. I knew that that's the kind of unit I wanted to be in because it's just that belief that... that if you, if you focus your time and energy on people, you can do just so much more. Right. And I knew I wanted to be part of a military unit that really focused on that. And so, you know, I gave up my Marine uniform, and I went over to the, the Army side. I got smarter. I got dumber. I don't know. We can debate that. But um, I went down entirely different. I actually gave up a career in the Marine Corps to do that. And I thought it was because, look, I'm chasing something that I think, one, is, is really tied to what I want to do, and, two, I think I can make a difference. Right. So... Uh, we're going to take a tactical
1: pause. Try not to hit the. Sorry, that's okay. Sorry, I do. I do it all the time in my coffee cup. Yeah. Um, that's about it. So. And, scene. Yeah. So, let's let's for the audience because a lot of people get they hear the term special forces they hear the term special operations mm-hmm. and I will give all our Navy SEAL brethren credit. Because they have the best PR.
0: Oh, they, they figured it out. They've broken like code. Because,
1: like, if if you watch, if, from a civilian's perspective, TV movies, I don't think you know anything different. I don't think you know there's other things out there than Navy, the Navy SEALs. Seals. Um, mm. So, of course, <laughs> being Army guys,
0: um,
1: there is a whole – there's a whole <laughs> – there's a whole it's, unit. it's a hard a pill whole, to swallow when it, you it see the,
0: the seals out there getting all and, there, love. and
1: there's a lot of good there's a lot of good banner back and forth between um, army special Op- Army special operations um, you know even the marsoc guys yeah. um, naval special operations but um, let's let's break down Army Special operations I guess I mean we could do the let's, let's do let's, do, let's, do, let's do the whole let's, umbrella. let's
0: do the whole umbrella yeah so in the us military. You've got a, a lot of different units. And we're talking about the ground side, right? So let's forget the airplanes and the ships for a mm-hmm. second. So anybody that's on the ground, you, you've got your conventional units, which we all started our careers in. Tanks, jeeps, on the ground. Right, artillery, infantry, artillery yeah. infantry, infantry, all that. And then you've got this little group called special operations. And in that, you have... Army, Air Force, Navy, and Marines that have their units each designed to do something very different that operate in small teams, and they're supposed to add extra value for the other conventional units. Right. That's the way that we win wars, right. is that it's our, you know, our massive teams out there and then these little, small, special operations teams supporting what they do. So that's sort of a, a little bit of a myth that people don't really know is that, well, SEALs are at the front. They're at the front, correct, but they're also supporting the guys that are over there. So it's right. a little bit of a misnomer. Now, if you break down special operations, you go down and, and you can go into the in, individual services. I was in the Army special operations. So mm-hmm. in, in that, you've got Rangers, um, you've got some intelligence units, and then you've got Army special forces. Yep. Army special forces come right out of World War II. Right. And the whole idea they They're was, the
1: only true
0: special forces. We're the only special forces. They're the, the only ones that can claim that title— um, And it really came out of the fact that in World War II, when the Germans had taken over Europe, there was the resistance, right? The French resistance, there was the Polish resistance, there was Czech resistance. There was all these groups behind the lines that were trying to fight back. And the Allies needed a way to get in there and use those troops to actually support, like, the landing. So when you think about D-Day and the people coming across on the beach – well, there were Americans behind the lines helping the resistance fight to support that. Mm-hmm. So what Green Berets do is they go behind the lines, they work with the local forces, and they support the bigger effort.
1: Right. So within – and just so the, the viewing audience knows, I was not a Green Beret. I was an intelligence officer assigned to a special forces unit. So I had the distinct pleasure of supporting guys like Chase. So Chase was a team leader. He was, a, he was the officer in charge. Of a, of a small, what's known as an ODA, an operational detachment alpha. Uh, you know, anywhere from 12 to 15 guys, depending on what's going on. And we'll get into the, the purpose of those missions. Um, but we're talking stuff
0: like unconventional warfare, mm-hmm. foreign internal defense. Counterterrorism, um, nuclear proliferation, so stopping nuclear weapons going wrong. Special reconnaissance, which is going out and, like, finding missiles and things like that. Um, but it's all those missions, you know, the really small kind of right. s- sneaky missions. Um. And,
1: and, it, and it's because, and, and we'll talk about the, the training pipeline and the Q course and stuff mm-hmm. like that, um, but y- you have to show a level of maturity. You have to lo- show a level of technical skill um, to be a part of these units. To So we want to be able to take 12 guys and then go, f- you know, be a force multiplier to uh, – a civilian population of 500 or yeah. 1,000 so they can
0: fight an entire war. That's board. exactly it. I mean, we always we always worked out the operation, the idea that, you know, my 12 guys were supposed to support 1,000, right? And we were supposed to be able to manage a 1,000, you know, of whatever country, um, which is not, not an easy thing to do <laughs> right. when you start thinking about it, you know, behind the lines and all, all of that stuff, um, But, you know, at the end of the day, I would have never been able to live in that world. There's no way I could have ever been a Green Beret if I hadn't done my time in the regular forces. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just that's it. I would have never been able to learn the lessons I needed to as a young lieutenant or as a young soldier to get over to that side. Because if you can't do the basics right, there's no way you're going to be able to to go to that next level. So it's absolutely crucial for me. So you,
1: you take the Q course as a Marine. I did which yeah, is what which, the which is,
0: selection is a marine, what the Q courses yeah, are. Right, right.
1: so selection, like selection, is what twenty-one days. It's Twenty-one days, and, and basically, you know, everybody thinks they want to be the best. Mm-hmm. What selection does is that selects the, you know, for if if you're if you're familiar with the Navy Seals and Buds, it's it's Buds version of selection almost. Um, how many people ended up actually being selected out of? Uh, it? I don't.
0: I mean. We, I think we always sort of go through the full pipeline. I think 100 apply, maybe three make it in or something like yeah. that. Um, and, and the thing is,
1: what, what people need to understand is you have to have the right combination of brawn and brains. Yeah. And, and we, probably more so brains than, than actual physical skill. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and as far as, like, you know, they're not looking for somebody who's competing in the Olympics in the decathlon. They're looking for somebody who can outsmart some.
0: I mean, the way we. So on day one, I was sitting in the chair and they're like, hey, you're about to enter a world that, you know, you most people don't get to go mm-hmm. to. And so to set expectations, we're looking for PhDs that can win a bar fight. That is the perfect, it's I've perfect, been, yeah. Yeah, right? So. And how many people, like, right.
1: How many, how PhDs many people can fit those
0: qualifications? Right. And I, I immediately was like, whoa, well, all right, well, <laughs> here we go. Um, but that. That unit is so... It was crazy. There's no yelling. There's there's nobody out there... Big know, boy making boy It's big boy rules. There's nobody, you know, making you feel like you're not worthy. It is there literally watching you face all of these different types of adversity, whether it's mental. I had to take tests while I was there. I had to go through, you know, different types of aptitude tests. You have to do teamwork. You have to do all of these different things. And there's not anybody there, you know, yelling at you or looking at you, assessing. In fact, they're not saying anything. Mm-hmm. And that really causes you to focus internally and think, well, am I doing good enough? The mental game there is so much okay. stronger. And it and it it shows, there are those people that can deal with it and there's those that just aren't ready yet. And that's the point of selection. And that's it. So you, you kind of focus in, you focus down on the mission, you keep your mouth shut, and you go. And I can remember you know, going out on these, you wake up and you have no idea how far you're gonna go that day. On a run or a ruck march or whatever, but you just put your head down and you do it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that whole course- And you don't quit. That's, that's the number one, right, is, is, you know, the way I told myself was, like, you're gonna, if you get hurt, you get hurt, but you're, they're going to have to pull you out of here. Right. Right? You don't quit. And that means if I, you know, I'll pass out, I'll die, whatever, I'm just not going to quit. And, you know, two years later, it worked out. Uh, <laughs> but it was not an easy two years. Yeah.
1: So Marine infantry officers redeployed to Iraq gets smart. Wants to become uh, Braille Chess of Freedom Fighting, Snake Eating, Green Beret. Does that. Oh, and look look who is here. Hey, guys. <laughs> Perfect timing. Now we got all the boring stuff. Out right, of the way. yeah. Uh, Chase's wife and local celebrity, Miley, has joined us. Hello. Good to see you. Good to see you guys. Um, so three deployments become a become a Green Beret. You uh, y- You do some cool stuff. With uh, the with, uh, 19th group, right?
0: Yeah, it was a 19th Special Forces group. Got to go to Asia, which was very, very different. Um, and, you know, kind of got to go around, had a great, had a great team. Um, you know, being in charge of a 12-man team in, in a country where you're the senior American is a very interesting experience. Yeah. Um, but it was awesome. I really enjoyed it. In your inter-
1: late 20s at this point? Mid-20s?
0: Uh, yeah, late 20s, early 30s when I was doing that. Um, and still one of the youngest guys on the team. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. You're always the youngest right. guy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you have people on a special forces team. You've got those that are focused on intelligence. You've got those that are doing communications, engineering, the weapons, all of those things. So it's, you know, at that at that point, you're a glorified leader. But you're also there to make sure that, you know, if things come down from the top, it has no you're, effect you're, on the guys you're, below you're, yeah. you. Yeah. Know? And, and that's I'm a part. Shield.
1: Yeah. And a lot of people, we get asked a lot. Of questions as far as the 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 equivalency of leading people in iraq which is being a business leader and, and the whole deal and that that's a big part of it man like as the owner you know depending on how many people work for you like you're there to take the slack yeah. take the flack take the slack take everything so your people can operate their mission and not have to deal with any uh, with any of the bullshit that's coming yep. coming down,
0: and, and that's, I mean, that's the one of the biggest lessons I've taken over as I've transitioned out and gone on to other careers, and, and you know, really focused where I'm at now, which is in the entertainment side of it. It's the same thing: is I want, you know, whether it's creative aspects or production or somebody that's focused on editing or whatever it is, I want them to have complete freedom to do what they what they know and they want to do. And if that means I have to create a world where I'm the shield from other stuff that's outside of them, then so be it. But I want them to be at their best. That's exactly the same thing I did on the Special Horses team. Just focus in. Do what you know that you want to do. And, and and you know the training you've spent your entire life getting to that point And go do it the best you possibly can. And I'll be there to, to, to course correct if we need to. Right. Yeah. So,
1: we don't want to do that anymore. We're getting out. Or we're deciding
0: we want to get out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what's... Which is never a hard... It's just never an easy right. decision. Right. I mean you know, whether you're in the army or whatever and the military is, it's a, it's a special place. I mean, it's a family. And for me, you know, transitioning out felt like I was about to leave a part of me, you know, coming out of small town, Texas, and then going back to the world. I was like, what am I, you know, where do I fit in at at this point? And I had such a good support base in the military. It was a hard decision, but I also knew that, you know, it was time for me to move on. And Mm -hmm. I had, you know, thankfully I met my wife who's now in the room. Um, The Mm -hmm. second
1: other Hawaiian heartthrob. Yeah. That's how we introduced you, brother. I was like, who's the first?
0: (laughs) (laughs) But the other part of it, too, is that I knew I wanted to do something different. You know, you had these experiences, and kind of going with the flow idea is that I wanted to try something else. And, you know, for me, it was a tough decision, but I know it was the right one. Right. So what
1: were some of the civilian career aspects you were looking at upon exiting? Or did you have an idea, or you're just like, you know, I've had enough, let's... Or did you have, like, all right, well, I know I'm going to get out because I've got this opportunity lined up, or how, what's that look like?
0: I did not have that plan, you know, and that's, and that's, that's on me. Um, you know, for being somebody that planned quite a bit in the military to go into this next phase of my life and not have a plan was really stupid. Um, and I did it just because I didn't know what was out there. I had no idea all the opportunities that were available um, to, to use the skills that we had. I mean, I really only thought that, you know, because of stuff that we had done, it was like, well, I guess i got to stay in the military lane or something associated right, a with that. Contractor. And that's completely not true. Yeah. Go off and of being a contractor or, you know, work around policy issues or whatever. Right? And that's not true at all. And so I, I finally realized, like, I've got a very strong skill set that can be used in any sort of business realm. Now it's on me to find out what I really enjoy doing. Right. And you know, take it to a point where it's like, I'm I'm done doing those days of working for a job. That's over. And now it's on the you know, what do I really actually enjoy doing, and why do I want to get up in the morning? And that's what I I searched. It took me about two years, but I found it.
1: Yeah. So what was that?
0: Uh, you never believe it, but uh, Hollywood Insider actually really
1: <laughs> really enjoys telling
0: stories. I really do. So we get out.
1: We ha- we have all this experience. Was there a time you thought you might want to go back and work for the government again?
0: Yeah, I struggle with that. I, I went through a couple couple different iterations where I you know thought I was going to be still with the government or, because um, I think I, I think a lot
1: of guys from, you know, that shared background. That for me, anyways, it was all about it was all about three letter agency. Uh, you know, some sort of like that was the next. You know, that was the next sexy step in the in the progression yeah and uh, you're trained in the government you're brought up in the military system in the government system you still want to be able to make an impact have a difference maybe not you know, don't do it so much in the military side of the house um,
0: there's a three letter agency that has been at the forefront of everything that the US government has done for a long time and I mean that that's the A team, right? It's, right. It's it's where everybody wants to be, uh, especially when you're coming up through the special operations world. Right. It's one of those things that you, you get, get to work with there. guys named Bob. In yeah. Junk. Everyone's got a cool name, right? Bob, Chip, Bo, yeah. Hunter. You know, <laughs> Smith. like yeah, Smith, Smith is the last name no matter what. Yeah. You know, it's you know, if you ever meet a guy that's like I'm Trent, like that's <laughs> he's not the guy, it's, right? Um, but you look up to these guys in your entire right. career, you look out to this, and you think that's the next level. Um, and, yeah, I did look at that route. And I looked very seriously at that route, and I, I knew, having you know, tangentially worked around um, groups like that before, that, that there, was, there was real value for me. Um, but I also started to really question myself. You know, I had that moment where you're you know you're sort of sitting by yourself asking the question like what do you really want to do mm-hmm. um, not what are you good at not what do you think you're supposed to do but what do you want to do right. and that's where I had to take a really hard look in, inside and say I, I you know maybe this isn't for me yeah um, and and thankfully I, I did I made that choice um, you know and those that have gone on and do those things I have friends that that do that and and I'm thankful that they were able to do it but you know that's one of those those worlds where if your heart's not 100 percent in it, you have no business yeah. being there.
1: That was um, that that was my number
0: one. Mm.
1: That was my number one. Your life would be a lot different. It would. It, 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 it's one of those things. Like 2020s, or you know, perfect hindsight. But that was one thing I wanted to do, and um, so I, I ended up going down that pipeline. And you, you got to remember, like I'm from.
0: We're intentionally being vague here, just so everybody understands. <laughs> I'm like, Get to we, it. we are
1: certain. We are <laughs> governed by certain documents, but we signed things, okay? Um, <laughs> so I'll never forget. They're like, "Yeah, come on out," and I'm like, "What? What? <laughs> what? Me? Me? I'm for Dale, for real. <laughs> like I'm from fucking Portsmouth." Yeah. Um, and so you go through these this whole insane battery of. Personality test, IQ test, written test, um, and just just an incredible gamut of things. And I'll never forget. And you're with a group of other people, and uh, I'm going through all these tests. And it was a personality test, mm-hmm. and and whatever the correct term is for it, but so I'm in front of a computer. You know, there's thirty or forty other people with me in my class going through all this stuff but and I had already flunked out of the FBI test <laughs> <time. So, laughs> that's so not I, the three literate are right. talking about so I would already flunked out of the FBI test this time because when they they hit me with all the math stuff I was done with it yep. um, so it was personality test and they said alright you have three hours to complete this battery of tests so I'm like alright three hours let's go so I'm like Ba-ba-ba, just nailing them out. 30 minutes. I'm done. Okay? And I'm done. with. I've answered all multiple choice questions. And I get up and I look around and I'm like, this is either a really good sign or a, t- <laughs> <laughs> or a terribly... Am I missing pages? Or, <laughs> like, or a terribly what am I awful to have sign. Because yeah. like like you were saying earlier, like the mental games and what's mm-hmm. going through. So... Bang this thing out in thirty minutes and get up and walk away, and I'm like, long story
0: short, never got the call back. <laughs> it's all for the better. They're right. lost. They're lost. They're lost.
1: They're lost.
0: Um, I've always wondered on that, you know, when you when you go over those side, and, and especially when you meet people that have gone and, and done that. Um, I know that there's there's a test that will decide those things, but then there's also real-life experience. There's a real-world, like, right. street IQ thing. The street IQ thing is a very, very valuable thing, and it's hard to assess, right? And so I knew, for me, when I was sort of debating whether to stay in that world or to go on to the next one, I started to realize, you know, I was living in L.A. I mean, you talk about behind the enemy lines. Like, that's a very different experience than living right. in, in Iraq or, you know, Fort Bragg or those places. Uh, I realized that, God, I could use these same skills here and do, be really effective. Yeah. Uh, And that's what sort of put put me down another path.
1: So how did we become Chase Green Beret to Chase the Hollywood Insider? (laughs) Um, Billy fucking Bush.
0: I mean, I'm going to give you this straight up. (laughs) I owe my career to Billy Bush. I just want to say thank you. No, that's not how it happened. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people, I think, and, and my wife here can probably, she'll keep me honest on this one. There's a lot of people who think that if you just show up, that you know, that's going to be enough to get you out of, into the business and all those things. And, and you know, thankfully, um, I had an opportunity when I was going through the Q course. So take it back just a second. And when we're in the Special Forces course, they would make us write about cultures because right? so, it's the idea you have to know that the, the right. culture you're going into so they said pick any culture and you can go out there well I used that as an excuse to go see my then girlfriend now wife and I was going to write about the Hollywood culture and my professors <laughs> thought I was a complete idiot Dude, that but a so w- solid I, fucking excuse I worked it right so right. I got on a plane I, you know the government's going to let me go to Hollywood <laughs> and assess the culture <laughs> You and, uh,
1: permission, I, did. It I did, I got paid, I got paid to do it. And
0: you know, I got to talk to people that were actors and actresses and writers and directors and producers and people below the line, above the line, editors, all those things. And I, I walked away from that experience learning. It's all about a team. It's all about building a team of on whether it's a television show or a movie or all, all those things. It's about building a team that has a common mission and then being able to go execute that. And then, if you're at a position like being a team leader, if you're a director or a showrunner or the head, you know, producer or whatnot, your entire job is to give the people below you the freedom go do great work. And I looked at that and said, Wow, this is something I could really get involved in. So flash forward two years later and I'm thinking about how am I gonna get into this, I mean I'm going back through and like, you know, reading that and thinking, wow, I can I know this this culture, I can find my so way
1: So in. your initial mission like, all right, well, I'm going back to uh, Hollywood land, mm-hmm. and I'm going to do what?
0: Um, I struggle with that. I struggle to find where I was going to find my place, and where I really settled on was this idea of coming through. It's more on the producing role, but it's a little bit on the writing role, and it's, it's being able to tell really powerful stories because we had experiences, especially for those of us that have been overseas. You know, you see films come out all the time on this. I mean, American Sniper is one of the highest-grossing films in the history of filmmaking. It's an incredibly you know, successful film. And you look at it, and it's like, yeah, I was there at the exact same time. Right. I remember that. And I think about these powerful stories that, that our generation has had, and who better to tell them than those of us that were there? Mm-hmm. And I looked at them and said, well, that's where my value is. Right. So finding a way to tell stories in the most powerful, effective way that I can Sometimes it's writing. Sometimes it's producing them. It's finding your way to to gap it. But at the end of the day, it's about building good teams. Well,
1: and sometimes it's real life. Exactly. Like uh, we'll we'll post this in the in the show notes. First of all, that's the first time I've ever said show notes. (laughs) Good. (laughs) (laughs) See how we're see how we're moving up here. (laughs) Thank (laughs) you, Knuckles. Hollywood Insider. Thank you, bro. You're welcome. Yeah, we've said post uh, post edit and show notes (laughs) so far. So we'll have definitions for all yeah, those. Don't worry, guys. Um, or it'll be me posting this to Facebook. It's probably what it'll be. But That's fine. Um, if you guys if you guys go Goog- or go to YouTube and uh, type in National Geographic Chase Millsap or National Geographic Captain Story, um, it's a very powerful twenty four minutes of of the story between Chase and his your former interpreter. Correct.
0: As an Iraqi that I worked with, yeah. yeah a, a, as when you were a Marine. When I was a Marine who had ended up going as a refugee. And, and this was one of those stories that, you know, there's a lot of things we can tell about our time overseas, but this was one of those that, this is a guy that saved my life in combat. and An Iraqi. An Iraqi, right? And, you know, well, doesn't wear a uniform, but, you know, chose that day to, to protect me. And I really struggled with this. I said, this is a story that needs to be told. And I didn't have all the skills that I needed to make that happen but I knew how to build teams and so I found a way to do this and and I went to National Geographic. Thankfully, I had a brother that knew how to work a camera and we gave him a pitch and they took a chance on me. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, they, you know, I had a lot of a lot of things in the resume, but that doesn't mean anything if you're trying to break into a, you know, an entirely new industry. And they they bought it and they took a chance and we went over to Turkey and we filmed this film and you know, and it's and it did well and and a lot of it was because I had very creative people that were able to help me build that out in a way that was... Have, and, and, you know, the Iraqi on there as well, I mean, he, he wanted the story to be as good as, as it could possibly be, and so we built a team around it, um, and that's how I broke in. I mean, there, everybody's got a different story, but I made a very powerful film that meant something about me that I, that I gave a shit about, and because of that, the confidence, I think, comes out on, on camera... And, you know, that's what I continuously try to do with everything that, that I put and out there. And, and you've said confidence
1: several times.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But confident, true confidence is not faked.
0: No. It's not arrogance either.
1: No. And, and it's earned. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I think that's an important, important lesson. You know, there is some value in faking it until you make it. Mm-hmm. Um, but true confidence is the ability, is knowing yourself enough to know that, through trial and error or through the conquering of daily obstacles that you can
0: handle whatever's thrown your way. Yeah. Well, and it, and it goes back, I mean, think about it, you know, and it's not just the military. I mean, this is just life. Think about any team you've ever been on, whether it's a baseball team or a football team or, you know, whatever it is, military, a special forces team. Can you imagine the leader coming in on day one and being like, well, we're just not ready. We're never going to make this happen. just immediately lowering the bar you're not going to get anything done right. ever. And that was a lesson. I, and I've seen people do that, you know, where that's just immediately, you know, we've already started with this negativity. And for me, I tried to take it the entire, op- the entire opposite. And so confidence isn't, it's not arrogance and it's not, you know, blowing smoke. It is coming in and, and having full faith that, you're, that you've built the right team, that you're pointed in the right direction, and then it's just going to take some time and you're going to get there. And you're going to figure it out along the way. And if you, you can put those pieces together, I mean, what are they? I mean, how are they going to stop me at that point? And, and I
1: think, um, you know, just hearing your story and knowing mine, that that's one of the greatest lessons the military has has taught me is like you can make it happen. Absolutely. When you when who's going to stop you? Who's going to stop you? And, and, and like you know, Steve Jobs said it, and this is a butchered fucking Steve Jobs quote. But like he was like, the best lesson I ever learned is when I pushed on a bubble, I saw something pop out the other side, mm-hmm. and that's a direct result of your action mm-hmm. and seeing a reaction from that. And I think a lot of people are, especially especially around here, a lot of people are ingrained and chained to a certain belief set that you know. No matter what they do, it will never make a difference or never make an impact.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but until you find that one little thing you did and you saw that bubble pop out the other side, and it and it it generates self belief, it generates self confidence. And uh, not everything you do is going to be hundred percent. You know, you're not going to bat a thousand. But shit, to be to you know to be an all star, all you got to do is hit three out of That's ten. Right you know it's right and
0: in you know for for any of the listeners that you know watch tv or watch netflix or watch anything on there you can see this you'll see it and if you want a little bit of a lens in the world that i live on the entertainment side it's pretty <coughs> obvious when you watch hollywood hollywood insider hollywood insider i mean this is a little tip you can you can tell on a show where they were able to build a good team and they were able to push that that envelope a little bit and able to to build it out and you can tell some that that just kind of along the standard process and they made it happen and that's what separates you know the pack and that's the way i look at it it's no different than anything i ever did in the military it's no different than the way i've sort of lived my life in general is that you have to be able to to project that that energy to get you to the point where you're going to make something better
1: people want to follow a positive leader in a positive direction yeah and and you know that's what being a leader is about it's about presenting that image and presenting that vision to go forward and uh and peop- people 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 want to be a part of that um and it's just having that belief and that self-confidence in yourself yeah. to do that and and you know you can't that's something you can't fake no it has to be it has to be earned
0: and you you also you know you don't have to be the owner of the company to project positivity like that is not a requirement. Um, you know, one of the things that I found is, you know, the people that I enjoy working with the most are those that have found their niche and are incredibly positive and willing to work and, and open to ideas and willing to, to dive in on it. If you're willing to collaborate and make it part of a bigger something bigger than yourself, I will I will do everything I can to work with you. And those are the kind of people and and that's for me and and you know and I've got a lot to learn, a lot about the space, I've got a lot in front of me and I've got a lot of you know growth potential. But of all the variables when I look at on a project money is like num like at the bottom almost close to the bottom of it mm-hmm. it's about assembling all the pieces ahead of that and most of it is about building a good team beforehand and then we get to the point about money because the bottom line for me is not about that it's about the people that you built to go along this ride with you yeah so we 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 as in if
1: I was involved in it but you you film the Nat, the Nat Geo, it did yeah. Um, that leads to your work with the nonprofit. Mm-hmm. So let's, um, I mean, real quick, let, let's talk about what those guys are going through. So the, at, deployed overseas in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, you have basically you have a ter- an interpreter with you on every mission, and essentially becomes a part of the family. Right. Um, be, and there's good and there's bad ones. So it's just like anything else. Um, but what's happened, you know, we were over there around the same time. Yep. Um, shit, man, it's hard to believe it was 10 years ago. It doesn't feel like 10 that. years ago. Yeah. Um, so a lot of those guys, thank you, bro. Um, they, they're they there with you catching rounds mm-hmm. and returning fire. Yeah. Um, and and doing, doing interpreter work. And we pull out and... And really, a lot of times the U.S. government doesn't even say thank you. And guess who's there to be targeted when ISIS rolls in? It's those Terps. And uh, and unfortunately, the, the the real truth of the situation is we left them high and dry. And it's one thing, um, it's one thing if if you know, because I've just I've got five-month-old twins now. You can do anything you want to me, and i and I'll take responsibility for my actions. But if you come after my kids. It's a whole different story, yep. and that's exactly what ISIS does. So, so tell us a little bit about your work with, with the nonprofit space and running Project, and, and where we're at now.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, this has been one of those things for me that you know I never planned. Right. I never had any idea that we were going to, you know, for lack of a better word, abandon those that had served you know, beside us in such a very, very hard. And this is Iraq and Afghanistan, right? Right. These are two right. very diffi- different but very difficult wars. And you've got people that really truly believe and you know it's and it's not it, it's hard to separate over there versus over here it is the exact same thing when people believe in us as americans like that's a really powerful thing and you know anybody that's traveled outside the country you know whether it be to canada or the, the caribbean or whatever when people look at you and say oh you're american and they smile at you that means something that means that somebody's been there before that has left a reputation that you all get to inherit well, that was a real challenge for me when we left Iraq. Specifically, it was because that reputation, in a lot of ways, had been had been challenged. And so, you know, I never thought I was going to be involved in this interpreter fight. I wasn't planning on it. Yeah. Um, and it was it was it wasn't until I got a phone call in the middle of the night, where you know an Iraqi that I had served with that saved my life, asked me for help, and he didn't know who else to call, and he believed in me, and. You know, I took that very seriously and thinking... Uh,
1: Yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, I'm busy watching Netflix. Yeah, I... (laughs) Hey, man,
0: I got ten episodes to watch, like...
1: Game of Thrones, bro! (laughs) And it was...
0: I think this is one of those moments in my life that I will always look back on and say, you know, I had the opportunity to do nothing, and that wasn't a course of action. I had to do something. And I didn't know what I was going to do, but I had to do something. I made a film. I I figured that was the best way I could help about it.
1: And... We're not going to, I don't want to even, because you guys need to, like I said, search YouTube, Chase Millsap, National Geographic. Chase just got on a plane to Turkey in an extremely non-permissive environment to go find his interpreter who saved his life to help him um, try to,
0: you know, change his refugee status to basically come to the States. Yeah. And that was because there was nowhere else for him to go. And this is a guy that had worked with Americans for a decade. Um, and there's others, you know, Iraqis, Afghans, there's people all in the world that really, truly believe. And so for me, this, this sort of opened up a door that was much bigger. And I, I'm a firm believer um, that the best way to help people is to be, is to be good businessmen, you know, men and women. Like economics is, the, is, is a religion that is, that is universal across this world. Right. And the way that you can focus on these things is really by solving problems and, and finding a way to, to you know, do good business. And I looked at this and said there are 30,000 people that have bought into the American system, that have stood behind us, that are really believing in everything they do, that are willing to work hard, and there's nowhere for them to go. And they're being targeted by people that want to hurt them and want to hurt their children. And that wasn't okay for me. And so I came, I get, you know, I started a little nonprofit knowing nothing about, you know, how to start a nonprofit. But then I, I slowly found a way, um, and so I sat on the board of a, of a nonprofit called No One Left Behind. And that's universal. I mean, we're not just thinking Iraq and Afghanistan. You know, that's our starting point now. But this idea that you would leave somebody behind, you know, that's totally opposite of what we ever s- said in the military. I mean, that, right. we, we, I mean how many that's times right. do we have to count people? Right. right. Like, we just right. don't leave people behind. And so I joined this organization specifically with the focus that, you know, for those that we can help, it is not about a handout. It is not about a free card. It is not about, you know, giving you something you haven't earned. It is about an opportunity for you, for those who make it here to the States. And we've resettled close to 2,500 people. We're on our way up. We've just signed our first deal with Starbucks. Um, it is an opportunity. Is, I look at this for, purely from a business aspect, and that, and, and that's not selfish. It's just I think it makes good business sense. Is that these are people who want to build communities and homes and work hard and build businesses and all of those things, and that is exactly the kind of person that I want to be my neighbor. Right. And that's why I've, I've been helping in this. And so, you know, we're at the point now where our first cohort has, they've come over to here, they've gone through the transition, they found a way to to work, and now they're working really hard, they're starting to buy homes, they're starting to do things that, you know, help everybody, and that's that's the real gratifying thing for me, is that, you know, you say whatever you want about war, but there are, you know, out of all of the things that have come out of war, this is one of those good things I think we can look at and say, at the end of the day, if we really think about that special forces motto, that humans are more important than hardware... We can do a lot of great things, and that's exactly why, you know, I've been, you know, helping with this organization. It's awesome, man. Well, and, and it, it
1: just speaks to, it just speaks to brotherhood. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and there's a there's a lot, there's a lot to be learned and a lot of lessons to be shared from that. And, uh, you know, America is, is a nation of immigrants, and that's exactly the kind of people, like you said, that's exactly the kind of people I want to yeah. be my neighbor and, and, you know, the, the truth of the matter is those people have fought more for this country than what a lot of other people have. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to do everything we can to help those people get over here, yep. to, to help that out.
0: And find safety, you know, and, and I think there's, a, there's an uphill fight, you know, in a lot of ways. It's, a lot of it is raising awareness and telling the story, which I think is the most, you know, for me that's the most gratifying and also where I can add the most value is you, you just tell the story of somebody that's walked from Afghanistan to Europe. I and mean, that's incredible stuff. It's not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and to be able to show along the way what, what people are going through. And then you know, for those that get here, um, you're allowed two suitcases. Two. <laughs> yeah. To come from you know, there. And so when you see the stuff that's in these suitcases, it, it's really profound. Um, and, it, and it just shows you, you know, the level that people are willing to, to, to go and willing to sacrifice to come here. And you know, this is one organization of many that I think can really add value. And, and what I really think about, because I'm a history guy at the end of the day, um, I wonder how people are going to look back on us in, in about 50 years and say, you know, hey, w- how did this have an impact? And of all the things, I mean, you watch it. You watch Vietnam movies now, and, like, you can get into all this stuff about it. But the really powerful stuff that comes out of it is the human stories. Mm-hmm. I think we're right in the middle of it. It's happening right around us. And, if, and for those of us that are able to pay attention and able to do something, it's going to live with us for the rest of our lives. Yeah, I mean. So,
1: <clears throat> we now get done with the nonprofit. So, what are we doing now? Make what it, what it's making you, Mr. Hollywood Insider?
0: Um, <laughs> I thought there was a follow up. No, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, what, I'm, I'm trying out. to break the record no, for no, saying Hollywood Insider. We're gonna have to cut a lot of this because this is really long. Um, no, I got I got really focused. I work for a company called We Are the Mighty, um, which if you haven't. If you're, uh, you know, any way affiliated with the military, if you th- if you like it at all, you should come check out our stuff because we want to give you an inside access to telling stories about the military. Our whole mission yeah. is to make sure that those military stories that are out there are told in a way that's respectful and it celebrates service and it's done right. Right. So for those of us that have served, you know, no longer are we going to let some of these stories be, you know, not just taken advantage of, but used in a way that just doesn't right. strike to it's the core of who we are. It's not yeah. true. Right. So we're going to tell it in a way that makes sense. And that's exactly, you know, it's, it's sort of like a team room in the middle of Hollywood. In fact, I work right underneath the Hollywood sign. I'm surrounded by vets. We've got a small office. I mean, it's like being behind the lines again. I love it. And, you know, our whole mission is to find a way to, to get out there and tell these stories in a way that other people can really respond around. So we're working on everything from, you know, small little digital stuff that comes up on YouTube or Facebook. We're working into film and television And the whole goal is to tell those stories in a way um, that the military community can really get behind. Awesome,
1: man. So, I don't even know how long we've been, uh... You've got a lot. Good. You can decide what you want to keep. So, no, we're we're keeping it all, bro. Um, (laughs) So, what we want to do is, um...
0: Oh, dude, we're an hour. In an hour? That's, no, that's not the longest. <laughs> it's not a record. An
1: hour? We've got plenty of time. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're gonna yeah. cut. No, that's cut. Like. we we'll put that in the show notes. Post edit. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so we, we, you know, we kind of talked earlier and what what I see here, and you kind of have a, a, a small glimpse with with Malay being from here. Mm-hmm. Um, the. What the closest thing I can compare it to is a foreign internal defense mission. Yep. So we have guys that come back, all right. And the, one of the greatest things I ever heard was from the Greatest Generation, Tom Brokaw. It, they weren't the Greatest Generation because they fought the Nazis. Right. They are the Greatest Generation because of what they did when they came back. So it's exactly from that shared experience of combat in World War II. They became shopkeepers, business owners, principals, nurses, doctors, etc. Um, what are some of your top lessons? You know, top three lessons or whatever. That so uh, a veteran or either you know somebody from a small town that's listening. What can they do to be a force multiplier in their community to to have a to have a greater impact to push that bubble and yeah. see the diff- difference difference yeah. on the other side.
0: Um. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna do something selfish here. I mean, the number one is to tell your story, right? I mean, and do it in a way that makes sense, but really make sure and tell your story. And that's why, you know, yeah, Hollywood insiders are great. You know, it, it's, but the stories aren't in Hollywood. Like th- those stories aren't that interesting to me. It's the stuff here. It's the stuff in, in small town America. It's looking at a place like Portsmouth outside, where five years ago nobody would want to walk down this street, and now there's life. And there's you know, there's people coming in on a Friday because there's a community there. How did that happen? That's a story that is really powerful to me, and I think you know outside of Portsmouth, that's a story that needs to be told you know across the board because you can show how other people have overcome adversity. That's number one. Is tell your story mm-hmm. um, for those veterans that are out there that you know are trying to figure out you know where you go and add value, and you know if you you're going through the Dale and Chase cycle of like what agency do I want to join. <laughs> Before you realize, before you realize, it's not as cool as you think. (laughs) Yeah, thirty-minute test. Right, nailed it. Um.
1: Going home. Going home. (laughs) Drop the mic. You know,
0: we we always said this this stuff in in the special forces world. It was like, don't self-select. Don't be the one to decide that you're you don't have any value. Like that is such a stupid thing to do. You have so much experience. In fact. You have a burden of knowledge. You've, been, you've, been, you've gathered so much stuff in the military, time overseas, all this stuff that your hometown and places where you need, need it. You've got a lot of, you know, I, I think about going back to my you know, my hometown. What would I be able to add? I mean, there's so many different things that you add. Find a niche and be able to integrate in it and, and drive on and make it happen. Um, you know, that's, and share it. If you try to internalize all that and try to hold it up inside, one, it doesn't do you any good mm-hmm. but two, everybody else misses out on them they can't read your mind right share the stories it's the best way you can do it Um, you know now that I'm just you know going down a list um, number three is just have fun you know that was my biggest challenge right getting out is that and thankfully my wife helped me with this Um, you know I think we take things a little too seriously in, in the military you know rightfully way so too, yeah but at the same time you know there's there's a point where we can have fun, right. and when I finally realized, and it took years. And I think I, I think I got a green beret faster than I learned how to like be a civilian. Right. Um, it's you don't have to work that hard, right? You need to work hard, but you don't have to spend all of your countless hours trying to, to just beat yourself down. It's quality of life. It's quality of life. If you can get up in the morning and know that you want to have something that you enjoy doing, then do it and do it the best way you possibly can,
1: <sighs> brother brother marine green beret hollywood insider my man i'm here thank you dude i can't uh i don't have adequate words to express uh what your friendship means to me uh things you've helped me with and uh yeah, dude, I'm, I'm just, I'm fired up whenever you're able to come in town. Or I whenever, love coming here. Or whenever I'm able to go to Hollywood, which has been one time <laughs> in my life.
0: But. You're going to have to come back. Oh, no, we're coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Woo! Still could have done without the silkies. <laughs> <laughs> That's now our number, online. our
1: fourth selling product is our I was wrong. I was wrong. branded silkies. <laughs> so, um, Chase, thank you. Um, more importantly whenever you come in town I get to see your wife yeah so, thank you Miley um, for so hands. for everybody listening tune in this is where it say usually helps and uh, I'm going to butcher this all to hell but um, find us on Google Play find us on iTunes check out the Facebook page I think Tim's giving away a free car to every podcast listener yeah <laughs> That's um, his consolation prize for I, being here, right? Right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> or I think it's 10% off any service, and you get $250 off a car if you mentioned uh, podcast. Or, you know, hell, you're negotiating. Just try to say, Dale said, I get a free car. Um, we'll see how see that how works out We'll see you. how that works out. But if you want to join the gym, we'll give you guys $50 off a 101 course. Um, for third in court and Doc Spartan, um, use code podcast. That'll get you, that'll get you 10% off. Um, so come on in it's top down. We, uh, we want to say thank you tremendously to, um, all seven or eight of you listening out there. Um, we, uh, you guys fire us up and, uh, anything you'd like to see here, let us know, hit us up in the email, the Facebook um, appreciate you guys. Chase, my friend. Thank you, bro. Thank you for having me. All right, my man. Guys, enjoy your day. We'll be back next episode of the Glock and Dock. Hopefully, Tim can still bench 225 by then. If not, he will be banned from the show until then. <laughs> All right, guys, take care. Thank you. Make a little money. Make a little money. Spotlight to shine on me. What I got, I didn't get for free. I broke my back and skinned.